welcome to another episode of Not Too Deep. I'm your host, Grace Helbig. A very exciting episode is in store for all of you. Buckle up. Jasmine Manns is here. She's an incredible artist, poet, and a weed cannabis industry contributor. You'll find out exactly how. Uh, we talk about her brand new book, Black Girl Call Home, a collection of poetry available at your Target. Go get it. We also talk through her genius, simple but genius idea to get over writer's block, which she is calling the kitchen theory. And we talk about Buy Weed From Women, her cannabis merch company that she started um, just, you know, uh, smoking weed in her own home, writing beautiful poetry. Hear how all of that blossomed and um, just get into the beautiful vibes that I think this episode has. And I mean that authentically. I'm still reeling from how wonderful it was to talk to her. And I hope that you enjoy it as much as I do. Enjoy this episode of Not Too Deep with Jasmine Manns. Jasmine, I'm so excited that you're here. Um, You are a poet, an artist. You have one of the most soothing voices that I have ever heard, and I cannot wait to listen to it for the next 45 minutes. Um, I'm curious how you describe yourself um, to someone that might not know you. Mm, um, I guess a Black girl who's still trying to figure her stuff out. Um, I don't know. That's a really hard question to ask. It, it, it's a humbling question to ask, I think. Um, just finding my way, you know? Yeah. Well, uh, you've found ways, I feel like. I mean, you had your follow-up poetry collection book come out um, a couple of weeks ago or a month or so ago mm-hmm. uh, called Black Girl Call Home. Yeah. And uh, I have to know, how how did this happen? Uh, how long has it taken? And like, how has it been uh, now that it's out and in people's hands and ears and brains? Yeah, well, how it happened was um, I got the beautiful opportunity to to write a book, to um, build a book package. I got uh, great agents and they were just like, uh, bring us back what represents you and in, in your arc, in your career and, and you as a literary writer. And um, I, I went home and I sat with so many different concepts and ideas and writing that I already created. And I was just like, well, what do I have here? And I noticed that like there were a lot of patterns that I already had in my work in regards to being a black girl, my body, love, falling in love, um, my city. And then there were things that I wanted to discover while going on my journey and writing this book. Um, Mm. And so I let like research lead me and then breadcrumbs lead me. And then before I knew it, I had this fin- finished manuscript of what meant something to me and what I hope would mean something to women and, and most importantly, Black folks. It's what a interesting and beautiful way to kind of construct this artistic journey for you, that you looked at everything you already had and thought, what's here and how, where does this take me? Rather than I'm starting from blank and need to come up with something out of nothing because um, we have so many patterns and people say often that all artists have an obsession and so you essentially start with your obsession of like well 
I, I write about this a lot or I do this a lot. And what you do the most tells you where your head is and where your heart is. And so mm. I definitely looked at what I did the most and, and who I was the most of. Um, and, and then a part of the journey is being proud of that. Like, oh, this yeah. is where my work is. And I'm proud of that. Wow. Because I think a lot of people would think this is what I've done. So I have to do something new rather than being proud of, you know, the patterns and like the kind of consistency or the the focus that they've had previously on things. I feel like a lot of artists are like, I have to reinvent myself or find something new that I've never talked about before. Um, Interesting. Like what was new felt like it being in the book form, right? Like, some of the poems are already written and already had a voice in the bigger world and meant something to certain people, but they didn't have it in text. And so it kind of gave it a new medium for everything, even the old stuff to even be new. Very cool. The I mean, this was a follow up from your debut Chalk Outlines of Snow Angels. Was there pressure? Did you feel pressure to do a follow-up or to do a second piece? No, no, not at all. Because some of the was chalk outlines of snow angels was very, um, was a very small run. And so if you could imagine it was me 2012 in college, hustling books from my, my apartment on campus wow. at w. Madison, just like <laughs> an MC would hustle like CDs <laughs> and mixtapes out of the spot. Yeah, yeah. That was my hustle as like a young poet trying to have a voice and doing what I saw so many brilliant poets do. I was like, poets are publishing. I need to publish. I need to figure this out. And so like, I was like trying to, like, I got my book on like in camp, like on campus bookstores and stuff like that. But like, like, it was my baby brainchild. But this, this is a whole like, new monster it's like before this is in target yeah like before like i had like a little i I planted a little little uh seed in my house in my little pot and then i watched my little tomatoes grow and this is like oh no like you have the grocery store here and so it's Uh, a, a very different dynamic wow um i'm also curious how did you end up at school in wisconsin Um, at the time, Wisconsin and still Wisconsin offers um, a brilliant program called the First Wave Program. And the First Wave Program um, accepts artists that represents um, the different elements of hip hop and poetry mm. and literature being one of them. Um, and so when when I was seeking colleges and trying to find a university, I was also deep in my me trying to become a writer and wanting and desiring to become a writer. And one of my mentors, Michael Sorelli at the time, said to me, like, you should send your writing portfolio to University of Wisconsin. I'll advocate for you. And um, I got into their program and I got not only a four-year, but a five-year scholarship. And I was able to to study African-American literature all the while performing and being an artist. And so it was an interesting place to end up being um, coming from Newark. But when it comes to poetry and the world of poetry, it made perfect sense. Yeah, it must have been a very interesting juxtaposition of cultures uh, 
on all types of levels in Wisconsin. Yeah, Wisconsin is <laughs> white. It was yeah. That was definitely a culture shock for sure. For sure. The So when in your life did poetry, did you find poetry? Did it find you? Well, like at what age was it something that you started discovering? Um, I guess poetry found me. Um, mm-hmm. And when I say that, I mean, words found me. Like, I, I think growing up, I was always attracted to a good story, whether that was a story by way of Whitney Houston, whether that was watching Matilda, um, whether that was like me listening in on my mother's conversations. Like, yeah, I've yeah. always been attracted to a good and I've always wanted to write a good dynamic story, even if it wasn't mine. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there was... And so I knew that uh, everywhere I heard stories and I love stories and I love watching stories and listening to them. Um, And so by that, I'll say that poetry definitely found me. Um, And then as a child and growing up, you just try to figure out how you can participate. And so like, just like babies learn how to walk, you kind of learn how to use your voice. Um, Mm. Learn how you want to write how you, uh, the things you want to write about, uh, what, what poems you want to speak uh, behind a microphone versus the poems you'll just write in the book, the poems that you'll write in a book versus the poems that no one will ever hear. And so um, poetry found me. And then just as a student of poetry, I'm always just testing out where my voice belongs and where my voice fits in the medium. Do you miss live performances? Mm-hmm. Have you? Yeah. I mean, also in going, your poem, Nicki Minaj kind of like blew up. Was that the first kind of video that blew up for you at that time? Yeah, that's so funny because everybody's like, your first poem was footnotes for Kanye. And I'm like, absolutely. It wasn't. <laughs> um, so thank you for saying that. Like, yeah, I wrote. So, and I'll tell you about that too. I yeah, I was, because you look like a little baby in that, yes, and your but I your was. your voice, but also your voice and your message is so intelligent, profound, and in control. And it's so I got chills the whole time I watched it, and was just like wanted to bottle up every essence that you had because it was so <laughs> it was just so authentic. Because what's so funny is that like I'm not just like people look at me and I'll be like oh she's a poet but truth be told I belong to a community that creates poetry that way and so Mm. that particular piece was for a slam competition where like we were going to be judged on our performance our creativity our style um our choreography and so that was that piece was specifically built to be put in a certain space in a certain medium Whereas the world okay. got and they were like, look at this poem. But the poetry community was like, oh, that was a slam poem. But it was, so I'm at the University of Wisconsin and um, the poetry community knows that like we have these like major poetry competitions. And this was okay. the major collegiate competition that was going to happen. And I was going to do this poem. Um, and I remember um, me doing the poem and no one, the poem was like, I did the poem for a year and no one noticed, like we never made it on YouTube. No one ever saw it. Um, yeah. and then I, um, there was a time where I wanted to be Greek and I wanted to join a sorority and the, the Greeks were doing step shows and 
somebody who was supposed to do the opening act didn't show up. And um, they were like, Jasmine, can you do this opening? Can you do the opening act? Like, just do yeah. those poems that you got. Like, and I was like, all right, cool. And I did the poem and we put the poem on YouTube and then all of this stuff happened. But it was way before we knew the dynamics of YouTube and what it meant to go viral, because this was still before Instagram. Um, yeah. and, and, and when we were getting used to what it meant for Facebook to have like shares and, and things like that. And so this was like my first piece. And I think it was like in 2010. Um, wow. but like, yeah, I was a college girl doing a poetry competition and, and my poem was about Nicki Minaj. <laughs> <laughs> but it's great. I mean, so how, so you basically kind of package your entire performance for that specific medium, like you said. What kind of prep goes into that? Oh, so much. And so yeah. Um, as a creative, you want to build something that's memorable, that people can walk out the space thinking like, wow, that was incredible. Like anybody yeah. can write a love poem. And you can hear 10 love poems, but if you hear a love poem about like maybe astronaut, you might say, but the, I remember the one about astronauts because it's that thing that, that stood out for you. Um, and so um, it's, it takes months of cr trying to be creative, uh, building what is clever, uh, building up a punchline that the audience can remember, a level of mm. thoughtfulness, editing, um, and and a lot of writers uh, have the opportunity or get blessed enough to be a part of writing communities that they can test out their writing and someone can say, mm, that's not good or that that's mm -hmm. amazing. And so belonging to those communities, I was able to build this poem and it probably took like a little bit over a month to write. Um, <laughs> and we, we won the national competition. And so it was definitely worth it. But um, it takes prep, practice, memorization, choreography. So, so much stuff that many people don't think about when we talk about poems. Yeah. I mean, it's a testament to you and the poetry community that you make it look very um, spontaneous and you make it look very effortless and knowing that it is, you know, extremely thoughtful from top to bottom all the way through is very cool. And I think can give people a deeper appreciation for what they're seeing, that it's not just kind of you got up there and decided to do say words this way or move your arms this way, that every part of it is part of it. Mm -hmm. um, that's very cool. Uh, also, in terms of writing, I saw you uh, posted on your Instagram this idea that I thought was so cool for writers that get um, writer's block. You talked about your kitchen theory. Mm. Could you explain that? I think it's yeah. so like wonderful. And, it, and it's so simple. Thank you. Um, right. <laughs> I was just talking about how um, people are like, how do you deal with writer's block? And that seems to be like the number one question that people ask. And, mm -hmm. and, and, and sometimes it makes sense, but sometimes it sounds absolutely absurd because like literally you can write about anything. Like you can write, yeah. the chair is blue. I sat on the blue chair. The blue chair was hard. <laughs> I will not sit on the blue chair again. And that is writing. And so yeah. we must feel some, we must be talking about something else. And we mean, I can't write. We, we, mm. we must be talking about, I lack inspiration. I lack the ability to write something good, something thoughtful. And so it's like, if we were running with that concept, I was like, well, there, there has been many times in my career as a writer 
where I've written good stuff that have validated me. Right. And, and I've, I'm, people will acknowledge me as a writer, a poet. And so mm-hmm. I get in this habit of expecting things to be good. And, and I realize that I feel that more often than I feel writer's block, that the feeling that I get when I can't write is not me not being able to write, but me not liking what I've written. Um, mm. And so I was like, oh, what is our expectations? And so the kitchen theory is basically me saying, when we want to build something thoughtfully, just like as if we want to build a mill, you don't say, okay, you don't show up to the stove and expect food to become because that literally does not, there is, there, that doesn't make sense. But we do that with the pen and the paper. We literally sit down, we take the pen and we say, okay, this should be good. Yeah. And we'll write stuff and we have an expectation for goodness. And we wouldn't have that expectation in any other form, whether it was like making food. And so, and when you think about something as simple as making food, you have to go into the refrigerator. And so going into the refrigerator might mean going into the mine. And then you have Mm -hmm. to pull things out of the refrigerator. And so now we're talking about going into the mine and preparing things. But then the thing is, is it's like, how do you know you have things in your mind to cook? (laughs) (laughs) And so it's like, sometimes we realize like, we're lacking imagination. And, and if we, and if we had a little bit more imagination that would give us a little bit more moments that we were satisfied with on the page. Um, Mm -hmm. But the kitchen theory in most simple form is just like the same thoughtfulness and preparation and um, consideration and experimentation that we use in the kitchen is the same sort of approach we can take when writing. Sometimes we experiment with different foods that we saw on TikTok or and in mm-hmm. different cookbooks, um, sometimes we need to like literally cut. And I think about onions too a lot when I'm thinking about this theory, because I'm just yeah. like, depending on what you're cooking, you cut your onions differently. And so mm-hmm. preparation becomes this huge dynamic. And when I think about preparation in terms of poetry, I'm thinking of the imagination. How do we prepare the mind and the imagination? to hold a story because we literally can talk about a chair, but the imagination holding the chair and the, the, the mind just simply holding the chair can mean very different things. So it's like, Mm. what part of us is holding the thought and, 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 and based on what part of us is holding the thought, we'll decide how worthy that thought is. That blows my mind and my <laughs> unconscious and my imagination. Like I'm and, right uh, now too. No, <laughs> it's great because it's also, you know, I think uh, too, it, the, a lot of writer's block comes from like it, preemptive judgment and um, uh, expectation of a certain quality, like you yeah. said. And, you know, when you go into your kitchen and you know you have all the tools there and you have ingredients there just the assurance that you have everything to make something puts a little bit less pressure on knowing that you'll have food at the end of your experience in that place Mm -hmm. it's a a beautiful it's a hugely profound simple but incredibly deep metaphor that i'm a huge huge fan of and you can still you can build on it in so many different ways um okay we're gonna take a quick break when we get back i have more questions for you so we'll be right back with more not too deep (laughs) 
Hi friends, Grace Helbig here from the podcast Not Too Deep, which you are currently listening to, hosted by me, Grace Helbig. Just wanted to say a couple of things. One, thank you so much for listening. And two, if you are enjoying yourself to such a degree that you'd love to leave us a um, review on the Apple Store, that would be so appreciated because again you are very appreciated for giving us your time your ears your attention whatever it may be uh and that was my couple of things now back to me me okay before we get into the questions that i ask every single guest that's on the podcast i need to know about buy weed from women can you explain what this is to people that don't know and how you got involved with this um, yes, buy weed from women happened because one day I was home and I've always designed merchandise for going on tour as a poet. It was a mm-hmm. way of making more money. Like if you had little quotes and posters and t-shirts, you could just yep. have a little bit more of a cushion when you traveled as an independent artist. And mm-hmm. so the way I kept my costs down was by printing in black and white. And so I would print my poetry in black and white. And I got used to playing around with short form poetry in order to put it on product. Um, because you can't just put a long home on a coffee mug. Right. Um, and so I was just playing around with lines. And I literally one day wrote by we from women. And I was like, these words sound important and they sound like they will be valuable. Um, and they sound like they belong somewhere and they belong in the community. And so, but I, at the time, wasn't in the cannabis industry. I was literally just playing on my, like, playing with script and playing with text. This was totally independent of anything in the cannabis industry. Just a phrase that you had the intuition was supposed to be bigger than just on paper. Home smoking weed, trying, <laughs> being creative. Yeah. Um, but you know, when you like stumble on gold and you're like, mm. Does any, did anybody see that? Like, <laughs> and it felt like that golden moment where I was like, I have something brilliant here. And I remember telling a friend and that friend was like, yeah, but that just has nothing to do with you. Like, what, what do you have to do with this? Um, you should probably stick to poetry. Um <laughs> But then I was so sold on it. I thought it was so cool. I thought it was the coolest thing I've ever heard <laughs> in my life. And so I was like, let me just put it on my Instagram. Then let me sell yeah. it on my, my, my website. Then I realized that Bi Week from Women sold way more than the things that was on my website. So I, like, I had wow. all of my little poems and then I had this like, one little t-shirt and it was doing better than everything else. Um, and so it came to a point where I was just like, well, what if I gave it its own home? What if I, it had its own website, its own Instagram? And then it became this like force in the cannabis industry. And I realized wow. that I had something brilliant because I wasn't competing with cannabis products. I was mm-hmm. unifying women and I wasn't, a, I wasn't a product. I was a campaign. And yeah. every, everybody or a lot of people in the industry wanted to wear and be a part of Bible from women because they like the message and they, and they feel like the message brings people together. 
And so I kind of stumbled on a pot of gold and just did my best to make something good out of it. But it's like the most fun thing I've ever done. Where poetry is poetry is super emotional, right? Like, Mm. like there is a very, very emotional impact that I feel when I write poems to the point where it's like, sometimes you can't write, sometimes you can't. Some, like mm-hmm. this is a process, a, a very intimate and scary process to be a, a, po- a poet, especially to write about black things. And yeah. then to have by we from women feels like this fun, playful world that I can try out design ideas and 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 I can employ people and and we can be creative and have fun. And so I I'm so lucky and grateful to have that balance of both worlds. That's so cool. Are there plans for other things uh, with Bioweed from Women? So many other things. Like before, like to be honest, like I Bioweed from Women was in my closet, like in my my loft. And mm-hmm. then um, this year we got the opportunity um, to get our own studio. Um, Amazing. We have, we have three part-time employees that work for us. Um, and... And and that happened because of like, um, in part because of the success of the book, because I couldn't barely yeah. run the company while I was uh, promoting my book. And so it gave me the opportunity to think firmly and be like, I need a team. And so to know that your company can hire people and then our goal is to expand and distribute uh, across the United States and in Canada and to continue hiring people. And I was like, I think that's one of my biggest um goals and the things that thing that makes me the most happy is that like what if people could build a livelihood off of just a random idea that you created i mean it's incredible and kind of a cool way to look at how uniquely you can be involved in an industry without competing directly with the people that are already in that industry it's just such a a very inspiring way to think about getting involved in things that are, you know, like you said earlier, like, look at what is in your world already. Like, look at the things that you enjoy authentically and genuinely. And how can you uplift them in some way that isn't just by like getting in there and selling weed? And I was like, what makes me different? I was like, I, I'm, I'm the black girl. I don't have the money that everybody else has. Like, I don't have a trust. I didn't, I didn't get investors. Mm. Like I'm still by we from women has never accepted any money from anybody. And so I was like, what makes this company special? Like I've sat around like multi-million dollar cannabis companies who have everything, who have the machines yeah. and, and the farms. And, and I'm like, and then what makes me the person? And I was like, Oh, like when everybody has cannabis and money, I have the message and the, yeah. message, the message moves faster than and the message will move faster than money sometimes. It has a value that's way more uh, longer lasting, maybe than just profit. Exactly. Like you'll see twenty different. You'll see twenty different like water brands. And yeah. And yeah. the support is the one that's in most alignment with your message. And so, and then I think that's why the the products are so. They sell so well and they're not, we're not like doing any mm-hmm. crazy designs where it's like, that's the most brilliant design I've ever seen, or that's the most heavy duty <laughs> shirt. It'll last you forever. <laughs> it's not that is what we're saying to people. Yeah. Um, 
And um, and I feel grateful to have the company at my hands and to be able to play with it and grow it. It's very, very cool. Um, I can't wait to see what you do with it. Yeah, we'll see some stuff. Please, I would love that. Uh, I I wear only sweatshirts, uh, like five different sweatshirts in rotation for the last year. <laughs> so I need some new clothes. I got you. I got you. <laughs> okay, got you. thank you. Um, okay, on a little bit of a lighter note, I'm going to ask you the two questions I ask every single guest that is on the podcast. The first is, who, alive or dead, would you most like to throw cold spaghetti at? Yeah. That's the hardest question I've ever <laughs> Well, it's also just to make it a little. I thought you were going to say who I would want to talk to. And I had my answer. <laughs> well, they also oh, just to make this a little bit easier. I kind of think of this. Uh, your answer is it's just who comes up in this moment. This can be an answer that changes on a daily basis, an hourly basis. And you can also consider that it's someone that you want to celebrate by throwing cold spaghetti at versus vilify by throwing cold spaghetti at. So it's just based purely on your intention. Um, <laughs> that's a hard question. Um, <laughs> I would throw um, cold spaghetti. The only people who are coming to mind are Donald Trump and Kanye. Yeah, great. Two great answers that, yeah, we've, We've had the you are in good company with other guests that have also had those answers. So all good. Um, OK, the other question I ask every single guest is to tell us your worst pants shitting story or like a bathroom emergency situation. But you can only use three words or three small phrases to explain the event. So, for instance, mine is college jogging front lawn. <laughs> OK. Um okay. <laughs> but this isn't my situation, and I hope this person never sees this. Um, <laughs> okay. But mine is um three words. Or like small phrases or okay. like a combat yeah. First date. Okay. I thought Shorty died. <laughs> Won't do this again. Great. Oh no. Okay, no follow-up questions there, but yeah, that paints a whole scene for us to explore. Um, okay, now we have a section of our podcast called Hot or Deep, where you can choose to answer a deep question that we have for you, or you can give us your hot take on a topic that we have. Gotcha. Would you like a deep question or would you like to give us a hot take? Um, I'll get, let's start with a hot take. You want to do a hot take? Okay. My hot take for you is, do you have thoughts on poetry becoming just a trend? Do I have thoughts on poetry becoming just a trend? I think everything has its trendy moments um, okay. where it gets the spotlight and it gets the most attention. Um, I don't have um, a problem with it, um, but I'm always invested in the longevity of poetry. But right now, poetry is trendy, right? Um, because mm -hmm. Amanda Gorman has become a household name. And, yeah. and by that, 
people are also paying attention to my poetry in a way that they may not have if poetry wasn't in the spotlight at this moment. And mm. so poetry being a literary form and, and being trendy, hopefully will bring up the art form in a way that allows artists to make more money and, and get more um, value around what they create. Yeah. Do you have on top of that hopes for the future of the industry or the community? Yeah, like I um, I want people to access poetry and, and more forms, um, allow mm-hmm. more poets to write, um, better deals and publishing houses, better all, all kinds of different things I would love to happen um, for the poetry industry. Absolutely. And, and it definitely is around our visibility, um, what people offer us and how people honor us in the conversation. Hmm. That's beautiful. I love it. Okay, we're going to take one last break. And when we get back, uh, we have a couple questions sent in from listeners and viewers that need some advice. And we'll be giving some very unprofessional advice right after this. We'll be right back with more Not Too Deep. Jasmine, we have some questions sent in from uh, listeners and viewers that need advice. Um, And you and I, just as a caveat, are not professional, uh, you know, advice givers, just people with uh, thoughts uh, that will say them out loud. So this is career advice. And you had kind of mentioned um, a mentor earlier. So this might be Um, up your alley. When it comes to the directions you want to take in your career, do you follow your mentor slash teacher's advice, which is legitimately telling you a clear way on how to achieve X, Y, or Z? Or do you follow what your head is telling you to do, even though you're not exactly sure how this will play out? And there's a possibility that it could, it could not work out exactly how you planned it to be. You know, I, I, I like when people strategize and plan. I think planning mm. and strategy is very, very important. I don't like, or I'm not necessarily the person who's going to be like, I'm going to do this random idea. I don't know how it'll go, but I'm going to give it a shot. Because oftentimes, if you don't know how it'll go, you might fail because you didn't plan. And if you strategize, right. you, you know your options of how it'll go. Um, Hmm. so I think planning leads you to, to the commitment and to the decision-making. Um, and so if someone gives us a strategy, even if it means taking a piece of it and tailoring the rest, um, I think, I think it's important to be very strategic and thoughtful. How did you get the mentors or the people that you kind of, uh, lean on for advice in your life? Um, I get them in all kinds of ways. Like I remember meeting a woman, um, two years ago, um, and she looked at me and she said, you're going to be my art daughter. And I was like, and you're gonna be my <laughs> art mom. And this woman has like looked out for me and has been the kindest woman to me and loving. And I know that I can call her at any time. Like I called her when I had a breakup. I called her when I got wow. a book deal. Um, and then I remember meeting um, Camilla Forbes, who is still like a very um, important part of my life when it comes to just learning and growing as a, like a black professional. And I saw her. She spoke at my school a few times. 
She mm-hmm. had this, um, she worked in Dumbo, Brooklyn. She was an associate director. She's the coolest black woman I've ever met. Like, I just remember like her vibe was just cool. She had her own office, everything about this yeah. woman. I just wanted to be like her. And, um, and so I said to her, like when I, I think like I sent her an email or said something and I was like, can I work for you? You don't have to pay me. Like, I just need a Metro card and I'll figure yeah. out the rest because I knew that if I hung out with her, I would, I would get to see cool stuff and <laughs> cool stuff. And so like, I like was working as like her assistant and then I'll be on the phone and they'll be like, we're doing the Nas Illmatic reunion um, piece at the Kennedy Center. And when I was working for her, we were, she was working on um, Tupac's Broadway piece, Holla If You Hear Me. And so it was just like, I wasn't making any money, but I was like sitting in rooms and listening to the coolest stuff I could possibly listen to. Um, and the knowledge that I was receiving like could not be bought. And there was no space, yeah. like she didn't have an internship program like this was just an independent, brilliant director. And I was just like, I want to be connected to her. And like what person wouldn't want just a free personal assistant? Um, and so it was right. like, so um, I did that for two years. And like she sometimes didn't come to the office. And so like I was in her office in Brooklyn and like I felt like <laughs> the coolest girl in the world. Like I was just sitting in <laughs> a little office in Dumbo and like I would go out and like look at the like, uh look at the river on lunch break yeah. and like feel like the coolest girl in Brooklyn <laughs> and I wasn't I didn't have a dime but like it was so it was such a beautiful and sh- and and built it built me as a yeah. as an artist and so I'm grateful for that I think that's such a great story and a great piece of advice is you know to kind of get it, it not insert but like if you find an opportunity like you said to do something that might yeah create an opportunity that might not have necessarily been there uh and like really assess the actual value is the money or a paycheck more valuable than the experience you were getting from that like probably not at the time and i think something I, you got me on the roll right now um yeah <laughs> i think i always say and i love to talk about this but um, that I work for value, not money. And sometimes mm. money is value, um, but sometimes it's not. And so oftentimes, especially on Instagram, you'll hear like people say like, don't pay me with exposure or I don't work for free. And it's just like, no, absolutely no one should work for free. But sometimes you have to create the opportunities. And that's why like I printed out merch and was like designing my own merch and stumbled upon by weed for women because I was like sometimes I don't get paid at shows but if they let me sell merchandise I'll yeah. make more money and I started I wasn't a merchandise designer but it's just like I found the value of like if I get an audience I can sell them things or like even though this woman is not paying me I if I do write in this position one day she might be able to pay me or um, and, or I'm going to meet such brilliant people and they're going to be able to co-sign me along my journey. And, mm. and that's a longer lasting value than, a two, $4,000 check. And, um, 
and and yeah and and it's so it is so crazy and so yeah it's it's very i mean because there's also that level of you know um removing your ego from the situation and finding the value in like you know what you're you're saying the experience and the uh you know your brain works in this more kind of analytical way of assessing a situation for the good that you can find rather than where you're being ripped off or where you might be coming up short or not able to get the job. And I think that's such a great use of your brain energy because so often people can expect things or have expectations of things that don't come to fruition rather than seeing how they can make the best of a situation that they're given and just sort of accepting the realities of it. Um, I think that's incredibly cool. Uh, are you taking interns? Are you taking <laughs> mentees? Yeah, I, I don't, I'm not taking, I mean, I feel like mentees, it's such a like emotional relationship where it's just like, sometimes you literally just fall in, into the arms yeah. of another person and it, it just builds. And so I kind of, if, if that relationship comes, you kind of have to welcome it. Um, mm-hmm. just like so many people welcomed me, like, and like, and I know this woman, like Camilla Forbes, she didn't have an internship program, but like she found space for me. And so I, I'm always down to find, uh, space for people. Um, and, and yeah, and just like by we from women, it's just like, I'm flattered by the fact that and honored that my career can help me add more people to a bigger system. And so I'm totally down to like build and grow with people. Oh, that's beautiful. Um, Jasmine, we have to wrap up. But before we do completely, we like to give our guests for making time a personalized horoscope um, from us to you Mm -hmm. that I think, Melissa, just put in the chat if you're able to look at the chat and read your horoscope out loud. All right. Dear Taurus, bowl of the stars. Your confidence and your sensuality will be raised this week. Lots of hand-holding and soft touches are what your fingers will be craving for, but just be careful not to do it to the cashier handing back change. Or do it. (laughs) That's so interesting. I haven't (laughs) had my hand held in such a long time, so (laughs) I'm going to get back to you on this one. Let us us know how it goes. Um, Jasmine, this has been wonderful. Thank you for so much food for thought. Uh, Where can people get the the book? Where can people find you and everything that you're up to if they don't already know? Yeah, um, the book is available anywhere you can buy a book, hopefully. Um, So Target, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, potentially your local bookstore. Um, And people can find me at jasminemans.com or on Instagram or any social media platform by way of poet Jasmine Mans. And so do yourself a favor, check her out, buy a weed from women, uh, get the Mm -hmm. book, see everything that she's up to. It's nothing but great, beautiful uh, energy that's worth absorbing. Thank you, Jasmine, for your time. Really appreciate it. Mm -hmm. All right. See you soon. See you guys next time on another episode of Not Too Deep. Goodbye. Too deep. Too deep. Too deep. Not too deep. With Grace Helbig. Not Too Deep is a production of Grace Helbig Incorporated. Producer Melissa D. Montz. Edited by Shireen Lani Yunus. Post-production sound by Chris Henry. And an extra special thanks to Flula for the theme music. Mm-hmm.